The following message was given by Mark Becton on Sunday, November 26th at Redemption Hill Church. For more information about the church, visit us online at www.redemptionhill.org. It is good to be with you. Uh, Take your Bibles and find Hebrews chapter 9. Hebrews chapter 9. We'll be looking at the entire chapter today. So please don't worry, we will not take three hours. But there are riches here. That I thank the Father in His loving kindness. He takes the time to give such detail. To give us peace. Uh, When you have this moment in life, Thanksgiving Christmas window, there are... uh, a myriad of conflicting and combining emotions. Uh, Thanksgiving, you get together with family, are to be thankful. And sometimes you gather with family and there's actually more regrets than thankfulness or fears of being there and sometimes wounds when you leave. And then you get to Christmas, which is supposed to be joy-filled or as the Hallmark Station says, uh, the month of miracles. Uh, And yet you get there and the joy is not what you're experiencing. Though it seems everybody else is. And then you get to New Year's. Fresh beginnings and all that goes with the anticipation. And still, it's hard to step into the new year when you're carrying baggage from the previous. I'm not trying to put us into a mood of despondency. It's just the reality of what we don't converse or talk about, at least openly. So I want to do something today. It's an exercise that Lori and I have done through the years. Uh, It's part of our human journey that we will have these collisions of confusion, fear, disappointment. Uh, It can be in our personal life. It can be in our church life. But one of the things that's helped Lori and me is being able to reset our eyes with context. Often you can get so zeroed in, all you can see is what's unresolved, what's unsettled, and the fear that you can't figure it out. But the Father in His kindness, actually through His Word, enables us to step further back and to see life from His vantage point. And once we get back, and see life from his vantage point. We re- redirect our eyes and actually, uh, though the things are still unresolved, how we carry them is different. Purely from seeing the big picture. And that's the beauty of Hebrews. Hebrews is all about the beauty of Christ meeting our greatest need, life with God. And so we'll be looking at all of chapter 9, but to get us launched into it, I want us to look at one verse. Let's start with verse 24. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 24. It says, For Christ has entered not into holy places made with hands, uh, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. 
So, Father, as we uh, have your word open before us, Father, we really can't get the benefit of your word without the help of your Holy Spirit. Your presence, your spirit guides us in all truth. And you've said your word is truth. So, Father, every one of us uh, may be coming to this moment different things that are confusing or weighted. But I ask, Father, you grant us the delight to sit at your feet and hear what is true. I'm asking, Father, you fill us who are followers with your spirit so that we can once again see what is true and then walk with you in that in a way that is different. Thank you for being such a good father. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Well, we've been in Hebrews enough uh, to know some of the backstory, but I, I want to highlight and show uh, some of this backstory and, and where it comes from. We had talked about this letter was written to Jewish followers who were experiencing persecution. Let's talk about the kind that the letter actually addresses. The Father in His kindness inspires the writer in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 32 through 34, to say, I understand that you are being ridiculed for your faith and that you're even having your property confiscated from you solely because they know you belong to me. Then you go further into Hebrews chapter 13, verse 7, and God inspires the writer to say, and I know that you are aware that other followers in other places are being martyred right now because of their faith. And I know that you are connecting these dots. And though you haven't seen blood yet, I know your fear. And because of these fears, some that they are experiencing and some that they are fearing they will experience, they're having Second thoughts about openly following Christ. Or maybe not openly at all, just going back to how they did as the Jewish followers and remembering the old covenant. And so with that, it gives us a whole picture why the book of Hebrews focuses on Christ. Uh, to these Jewish followers, it's a loving kindness of God to do this. And so let me bring us up to date to where we are just by going back to the other chapters. In chapters 1 and 2, they said, in Jesus you have a higher authority than the angels. These Jewish followers did understand uh, Psalm 8, which says that we as humans were created a little lower than the angels. So they thought Christ who lived among us was solely human. So maybe he was uh, below the angels. And so they, they wrote, no, 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 no. He had authority over the angels. In chapters 3 and 4, Christ is identified as a greater deliverer than Moses. Chapters 5 and 6, a more effective high priest than Aaron. And now in this section of chapters, chapters 7 through 10, they are taught that Christ is a better bridge to God than the old covenant. So what we'll do today is just take our time walking through the riches of chapter 9. 
to first see how the old covenant was a bridge that God intended purely to be a model. Not the true bridge, but the model of the true bridge. And how this model actually reveals uh, the problem that we have in having a life with God, which is the aim that we have in this life. But also the beauty of the chapter is it not only reveals the problem, it identifies Christ as the remedy. And then you come to the last, how can we be assured that the problem has been remedied by Christ? And it's, it's a loving chapter. So let's, let's start, first of all, with Hebrews chapter 9. We'll be looking at verses 1 through 7 at the model. And when I thought about this, I remembered a documentary I saw several years ago on the design and construction of roller coasters. I love roller coasters. And so I was already hooked. I wanted to see this. And they went through the processes of doing the physics, the math. Then from the physics, they did the blueprints. And then from the blueprints, they would do the model. So we watched the physics, we watched the blueprints, and then they went to a warehouse and put the model together based on the math and the blueprints. Now, this is going to be great. And then I saw the cars, the roller coaster going off everywhere. I thought, that, that doesn't give me encouragement. The, the beauty of this is once they got everything fixed with the model, then they were ready to build it so people could enjoy it. That was the process. When you look at Hebrews chapter 9, you basically reverse that process. Because actually the process starts with a model that was not made with hands. We're going to see this as we get deeper into the chapter. So the model is actually, in the Old Testament, a picture of what is already there in heaven. And it is a beautiful picture, but the Father gives us this picture in order to do several things. But let's first look at it in Hebrews chapter 9, verses 1 through 7. It says, Now even the first covenant had regulations for worship and an earthly place of holiness. For a tent was prepared. The first section in which the lampstand and the table and the bread of the presence, it is called the holy place. Behind the second curtain was a second section called the Most Holy Place. Some of you may be familiar, that's the Holy of Holies. Having the golden altar of incense and the Ark of the Covenant covered on all sides with gold, in which, did you ever wonder what was inside the Ark of the Covenant? In which was a golden urn holding the manna, and Aaron's rods, his staff that had budded, and the tablets of the covenant. Above the Ark of the Covenant uh, were the cherubim of glory overshadowing the mercy seat. Of these things we cannot now speak in detail. Why? We'll get lost in the weeds of the details of the model that God has put in place in the Old Testament. Verse 6. These preparations having thus been made... The priests go regularly into the first section performing their ritual duties. But into the second, only the high priest goes, and he but once a year, and not 
without taking blood, which he offers for himself and for the unintentional sins of the people. The beauty of the model that the Father gives us in the Old Testament with the tabernacle is what it reveals to us. One is it reveals to us the holiness of God. We'll step into that in just a moment. But also, how it really is impossible for us to maintain a life with God on our own. So let's first begin with the idea of how, how do we see the holiness of God in this? In verse 5, it talked about it is impossible to speak about all the things and the details. Uh, the Father in His loving kindness with the tabernacle of the Old Testament gave all the details, specifically the measurements uh, and the materials. He even identified who was going to do that and gave those specific, perfect dimensions and details so that the tabernacle could be built. But not only that, the specifications of the practices of who can approach God, when can they approach God. Right now, uh, for my own benefit, I'm, I'm listening uh, through all of Scripture. I start with Genesis and I, I have it on, on, on CDs and listen to it in my car, which gives you an idea how old I am and how old my car is. <laughs> but I, I'm now in the book of Numbers. And when you go through Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers and see all that God has commanded to be obeyed in order to be in right standing with Him, you're overwhelmed by His holiness. And through that holiness to communicate to us, your relationship with me is not based on what you do. But it's actually based solely on what I do. Because I am holy. Uh, I remember years ago reading from R.C. Sproul. It's a classic work of his called The Holiness of God. And he goes through this word holy in Old and New Testament. And at the root, you and I have heard this in other sermons and other things we've read. That the word holy means to be separate. But Sproul does something beautiful. He, he takes this word translated separate, which leads to, to mark off by clear boundaries. But he says, if you go to the root of the root, this is how deeply marked those boundaries are with the holiness of God. The word means to cut. It's precise. And when Sproul looks at this and talks about God, he says, when you look at the holiness of God and how cut and separate he is, is, it's fair and right to say every time you talk of his holiness, you're talking about him being a cut above us in every way. Which means you talk about the attributes of God, his nature. His justice will be a cut above ours. Just as his mercy will be a cut above ours. The grace that he gives to us compared to the grace that we give to one another is a cut above ours. Even his love that he extends is a cut above ours. And we would not know all this without first seeing it in the light of his holiness. I would not know the depth of his love without first knowing the degree of his holiness. That's the reason Romans 5 8 is so powerful. When it talks about Christ's crucifixion, it says, But God displayed his love toward us. 
Uh, a word literally means to billboard. And that while we were sinners, Christ died. This holiness. That's the first thing you see when you start going through God's specification for the tabernacle and its practices. But the other thing you immediately see is our inability to get and stay in that close relationship with God. Verses 6 and 7 break down some of these practices. Specifically, the Old Testament accounts say that the ordinary Israelite approached God only as far as the gate of the tabernacle court. And that priests proceeded further, but no closer than the veil to the Holy of Holies. And only the high priest could pass beyond the veil into the Holy of Holies, but only once a year and on a specific day. The day of Yom Kippur, the day of atonement. It was God's clear message. I am holy and you are not. It is in our desire, our longing to find peace in life, joy in life, which are things promised only by Christ, fulfillment in life, contentment in life, and have that with God that we will look for it in a myriad of places. And the sad reason, the sad process is we will start casting onto God how God should see us so that how we act before the God we portray is in line with what we want Him to think and with what we want Him to, to be and how we would want Him to react. And what the Father has communicated in this model of the Old Testament as well as in the life of Christ is you can't make Him what he, you want Him to be. And you can't make salvation what you want it to be. God is who He is and has done what He's done. And He announced that at the beginning. Now the first way we're introduced to God in Genesis chapter 1 is with the Hebrew word Elohim, powerful creator God. When you get into chapter 2, we're first introduced to another word used for God that you hear in Exodus chapter 3 and 4 when Moses is at the burning bush and says, when I go back, who do I tell him has sent me? And he says, tell them I am has sent you, which is Yahweh. I am. It's not who you create me to be, want me to be. I am who I am. It's the same thing that Jesus Christ said in John chapter 8, verse 58. Before Abraham was, I am. And one of the powerful things for me, it really struck my my nerd sense. We were in Israel and we were taken to the spot where it was believed Christ had cooked the fish uh, after his resurrection and had that John 21 encounter with Simon Peter. But you remember uh, the, uh, the fish that he cooked were the fish that were uh, part of, maybe part of that fish that were caught, but I know this, they, they numbered the fish that were caught that day. 153 because Christ told them where to fish. And our Jewish guide who was a believer said that in Hebrew there are times that the letters can be numbers and numbers can be letter. And 153 means I am. You cannot make God who you want him to be nor salvation what you want it to be. God is who he is. And he sets the standards and the qualification for a life with him. 
The Old Testament was a model of that to scream to us, you cannot do this on your own, which is the problem. You have the model. Now let's look at the problem. When engineers build models of roller coasters to test the math and construction, they, they want to be certain there's no problem with the design. God did not have to worry about the design or construction of the tabernacle. He has all the specifications and instructions. So today's roller coasters, when they are created, have those padded bars. You sit in it. And it secures you with the padded bars. I'm very grateful for that because at my age, <clears throat> my equilibrium is not as good as it used to be. And so in case I black out during the journey, I'm secure. For other individuals, it's to secure them in because they might do something really crazy in the course of the ride. That's the reason you get the announcement. Keep your arms and legs, everything in while the journey is going on. When the model was made by the Father, it wasn't to show the problem was Him. It was to show that the problem is with us. Look at verses 8 through 10. By this, the Holy Spirit indicates that the way into the holy places is not yet opened as long as the first section is still standing, which is symbolic. We'll talk about that word. Uh, for the present age. Uh, according to this arrangement, gifts and sacrifices are offered that cannot perfect the conscience, we'll talk about that, of the worshiper, but deal only with food and drink and various washings, regulations for the body imposed until the time of reformation. Uh, this copy, this tabernacle, this covenant of the Old Testament was symbolic. Now the beauty of this word translated here symbolic is it's also translated in the Gospels. But there are places where it's translated in the Gospels not as symbolic but as the word parable. It's a beautiful picture where God with the Old Testament, with the tabernacle, with the covenant has given us an object lesson of what takes place and what the Father has done and what our need is to have a life with Him. Now, one of the things that is evident in this is that you and I feel the need for a life with Him. Because it's this word, conscience. Now, the, the model could not perfect the conscience of the worshipers. Could not bring it to completion, to fulfillment. And particularly when you understand what this word conscience means. When it's used in scripture, it depicts literally a tormented or troubled conscience. The individual lives tormented by their offenses before a holy God. And the pending consequences because they are unresolved. Uh... Let me just give you a picture of how this is actually the Father's loving kindness. One of the stronger forms of discipline to our children is actually to give them some time to think about the consequences that are coming for their actions. I learned that in fifth grade. Uh, it was the only time I was in a fight on the playground at school. And it really wasn't a fight. It was just a lot of fifth grade boy posturing. 
But the principal saw it. It was on a Friday, and he came out. Said, boys, go home. I'm going to talk to you and see you on Monday morning. We're going to settle this. Well, I had all weekend to think about that. Friday was okay because I escaped it. Saturday, I was playing. It's fine. But Sunday, I knew Monday was coming. Sunday night, it was worse. Monday morning, my dad did something. He really, they took my brother and me out to eat for breakfast. And something even rarer happened. I couldn't eat. Because I knew what was coming. This principal was actually a member of my dad's church. I knew this man. He was huge. Broad shoulders. And I knew he kept the paddle in his bottom drawer. So with all of this, I just kept wondering what was coming. Now, I learned something this morning. I moved right on to the sermon from that example and forgot to tell them what happened. <laughs> and so I've been stopped. I did not get the paddling. Uh, that morning. <laughs> Middle school is a different story. Uh, but I think I can, I have just described what we're talking about here. You and I have a sinful nature that causes us to know we are separated from a holy God who is perfect. And until that is resolved, we live under the torment. What will it mean when I stand before a holy God and this has not been resolved. So as a result, there needs to be a remedy. So what is the remedy? The remedy is Christ. Uh, take your Bibles and look at Hebrews chapter 9. Look at verses 11 through 14. Now one of the gifts that uh, I had years ago when, when our boys were in middle school is uh, one of the members of our church here in Richmond was actually in charge of the roller coasters for one of the main theme parks. And he gave us a delight. During an off-season, he took us in when nobody else was at the park. And, of course, all of us thought, we're going to get to ride all the rides. This is going to be great. But he didn't. We were surprised, though, with how much we loved what he did. He had created a means to give us a tour through all of these roller coasters that have been designed and built. And we got a behind the scenes walk to look at all the engineering and how it was ran. When you get to verses 11 through 14, you're not getting a tour of the model. You're beginning to have the tour of the truth that the model represented. And furthermore, the one giving the tour is Christ. So look at this, verse 11. But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, and then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, he entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood. Thus securing an eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works, to serve the living God. 
verses 8 through 10 underscore the problem unresolved by the first covenant. But verse 11 opens with an exciting announcement. But the Messiah has appeared. Uh, the uh, Holman Christian Standard Bible. Its translation of this passage doesn't say now Christ. It says now the Messiah. And uh, the Holman Christian Standard Bible has now had an uh, iteration to become the Christian Standard Bible. And they no longer have that. I, I loved it when they did because it helped me bridge and helped the reader bridge uh, all the, the, the 60 specific prophecies of Christ to come and the 270 ramifications of that. And so for us then to see this is the remedy. Christ is the Messiah. Now, now, what makes this and what makes Christ the Messiah? Well, in the Old Testament, with the model that was there, sacrifices were made of animals to satisfy the wrath of God during the year, but had to be done annually each year. So why wouldn't that satisfy we still have it in place? Because it could not purge, could not uh, complete, could not fulfill, could not satisfy the conscience of our sin before God. Besides, the animals didn't sin, we did. Which is why Leviticus chapter 17 verse 11 says this. For the life of the flesh is in the blood. And I have given it for you on the altar to make atonement, means a covering, for your souls. For it is the blood that makes atonement, a covering, by the life. It talks about the exchange. And I, I, I love this description. Uh, in, in Genesis chapter 3, when Adam and Eve sin, Romans chapter 5 explains that their sin causes them to be separated from God. And because we are born after them, we are born separated from God. But before their sin, they were walking in Eden with a life with God. But because of their sin, they exchanged the life that they had with intimacy with God by their sin for a life under God's wrath. And then you get to Christ. Romans chapter 6 verse 23. But the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now this word wages was a term in that century, Greek century where it gave you a picture of exchanging. It's almost like the old general store where you would swap pelts for grain and then grain for tools and, and tools for fabrics. There was always an exchange. That's what was talked about here. So Adam and Eve exchanged a life with God for God's wrath. But Christ, who had life with God, exchanged his life with God to take on our sin and God's wrath so that through that we might have the exchange again and have the life he's had with God. To have that exchange again. It only happens through Christ, the Messiah, who is our remedy. Not only just by his acts as our Messiah through his sacrifice. After his sacrifice, he ascends to heaven as our high priest. But scripture also calls him our mediator. You find that in verses 15 through 22. Same chapter. Look at it. Therefore, he, Christ, our Messiah is the mediator of a new covenant so that those who are called may receive the promised 
eternal inheritance. Since a death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant, for where a will is involved, the death of the one who made it must be established. For a will takes effect only at death, since it's not enforced as long as the one who made it is alive. Therefore, not even the first covenant was inaugurated without blood. For when every commandment of the law had been declared by Moses to all the people, he took the blood of calves and goats uh, with water and scarlet wool and hyssop and sprinkled both the book itself and all the people, saying, This is the blood of the covenant that God commanded for you. And in the same way, he sprinkled with the blood, with the blood, both the tent and all the vessels used in worship. Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. In fact, other translations, there is no remission of sins. If you've had cancer, you know how cherished that word remission is. It means that which was within you no longer has an effect upon you. It's a powerful thing that's given us by Christ as our mediator. Mediator of his will. Now, uh, back in 1976, I was a freshman in high school. And at that time, everybody was fascinated by the death of a billionaire named Howard Hughes. Now, for months thereafter, there were articles written about all the proceedings that were taking place, specifically over 200 federal, state, and private lawyers were all working feverishly for their clients or themselves to get some of the benefit from that will. When you and I look at Christ as our mediator, the headlines could read, the mediator of the new covenant is Christ. Jesus now distributes God's eternal inheritance. That's what he talks about in verse 13. But also in verse 12, he calls it that inheritance is an eternal redemption. This is something we, 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 we rarely process. For those of us who belong to Christ, who've experienced salvation in him, we are seen by God as co-heirs with Christ. Romans chapter 8 verse 17. You are heirs of God and now co-heirs with Christ. And this inheritance wasn't something that you earned. It wasn't something that you favored up to God to get. It was a gift according to Romans 6.23. Which means it was graced to you because of Christ. So if you belong to him, I love what Paul says in Philippians chapter 3. Then therefore live up to all that you are. Live up to all that you have in Christ, your mediator. For as your mediator, he has placed you in Christ. What does that mean? Paul will say this 85 times in his letters. You are in Christ. We are in Christ as is. Which means we have his atoning covering. And when God looks at us, he sees Christ on us. So how will he see us? 
The same way he saw Christ when he came up out of the water of his baptism. This is my beloved son whom I'm well pleased. Covered in Christ even though I'm sinful beneath that. And even though I wrestle with my own sin. And the father is kind and just and his view of me hasn't changed. I'm seen as beloved. Which also means all that is Christ's is mine. The wisdom of God, the joy of God, the strength of God. Not so that I can just waste it away, it's because I need it in my fallenness to honor Him in a fallen world and to walk with Him and the life that He has graced me with because of Christ. It is a gracious gift. The best way I can describe the benefit of this is from another pastor. Uh, pastor Tony Evans, pastors in, in Dallas area. I don't know if he's still a chaplain for the Dallas Mavericks, the basketball team. But one of the best ways to describe how rich we are in Christ is by his own experience as a chaplain. Every now and then he'll ask a guest, you want to go with me to the game? And so if you do, this is what he tells him. He says, now, you don't drive. You come with me. I have VIP parking in parking lot A. Parking lot A is located 25 steps from the front door. I drive in and the attendant will say, Hello, Dr. Evans, how are you? They will let you in because, not because of who you are, but because of who I am. Then we're going to get out of the car and we're going through the front door. Uh, we're, we're not going through the regular front door. We're going through the VIP front door. And there's a policeman at that front door whose job is to not let you in until I tell him you're with me. When he finds out we're together, he's going to give you access that he gives me. Not because of who you are, but because of who I am. And when I get downstairs, if you hadn't eaten, uh, don't worry about it. They have a four-course meal available for VIPs. The four-course meal is free to me, and it's also free to you because you're with me. And if you don't like the cheap seats, don't worry about it. My seats are on the floor near the owner of the team. Most expensive seats of the house come at no cost to you. Not because of who you are, but because of who I am. You get the best seats in the house because you are identified with me. Can you connect the dots? And our Messiah and mediator is not Pastor Tony Evans. And the true tabernacle is not in Dallas where the Mavericks play. Because of Christ, we have a Messiah who puts us in right standing with a holy God and grants to us all the access and the beautiful benefits of the will of God. Because of Christ. So how can we be assured of this? Can you really be assured of it? Let's look at verses 23 through 28. And we'll wrap up. It says, Thus it was necessary for the copies of the heavenly things to be purified with these rites. But the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ has entered not into holy places made with hands which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself, 
now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf, not was it to offer himself repeatedly as the high priest enters the holy place every year with blood, not his own. For then he would have had to suffer repeatedly when? Since the foundation of the world. But as it is, he, Jesus, appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that the judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with the sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. Verses 23-24, sure as just as the old covenant was established by animal blood, the new covenant is established by Jesus' blood. Verses 25 and 26 stress the importance that if Christ, his sacrifice had the same temporary effect as the animals, he would need to return to sacrifice himself annually. He doesn't do that. He sat down in heaven. Verses 27 and 28 remind us of Christ's ultimate return and judgment. And because of Christ that we can belong to God through him. The judgment to come doesn't give us that same fear and dread because our consciences have been purified by Christ to rest in Him and what He has done. It was several years ago. Uh, there was an event at the uh, Richmond Library downtown. I went to, to experience the event, got there early enough and caught to the side an exhibit that was called Never Built in Virginia. And so I walked into this display and on the walls you had blueprints and artists' renderings of the dreams of people of what they wanted to have built in Virginia. Uh, it was buildings and then you had parks and then you had bridges. It was just everything that was desired to be built. And to give you an idea of how many years of un built dreams were in the room. Uh, you had glass encased models. Today, they'll just give you a 3D rendering and let you fly through it and see everything digitally. But there was a day the architects would have to build to scale everything that they were dreaming and picturing. The little cars in the parking lot, the trees where they would be, how the people would walk in. Magnificently detailed, but never fulfilled. The beauty of the copy of the Old Testament is it betrayed what was already in place by Christ before the foundation of the world and fulfilled by Him in the New Testament. It was a copy of the life we've been given with God because of Christ. It is a picture of what has been fulfilled by and that we get to experience and live because of Him. So that means today, just like every time we gather, we take the Lord's Supper. We take communion. And it represents the broken body of Christ. It represents His shed blood. And oftentimes, 
We can do this as a part of our regular routine and miss its significance. The Messiah came. He took on our wrath. He fulfilled what we have seen and know to be true of him. He is our high priest of heaven who now mediates before God on our behalf. And because of him in this day, through salvation, we are in him and seen by God as beloved because of him. It was fulfilled by Christ. And therefore, we remember him every Sunday. In preparation for that, let's pray. Father, we thank you for your kindness. We thank you for your love. We thank you for your, your wisdom. Uh, we thank you for your word. Father, I ask forgiveness when overwhelmed by fears, disappointment, frustrations, when carrying anxiety to an unhealthy place, I have not lived up to who I am in you. I have stressed more over my weaknesses than over your strength. Moreover, my fallacy than your perfection. Moreover, what I don't have than who I am and all I do have in you. I ask forgiveness. I'm probably not the only one, Father. I praise you, Lord, and thank you that you have given us communion, told us every time we do it to remember you and what you have done to make salvation true secure because of you and not because of us. So Father, please, for, for those who are followers this day, Lord, uh, renew us as we remember what we have and all that we are because of you. But Father, for those here who are uncertain about their life with you, whether or not they belong to you, I pray that you would lovingly uh, use that unsettled conscience to draw them to you. I pray, Father, that you would uh, give us the, the joy as others who've experienced that same unsettled conscience and been guided by you to life with you. And give us the joy to explain that and talk about that with those that are experiencing that unsettledness today. been listening to a message by Mark Beckton given at Redemption Hill Church in Richmond, Virginia. For more information on the church and to hear other messages, please visit us online at www.redemptionhill.org.